0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Fellowship. We're going to have a great time opening up God's Word today. Before we do, I just want to say just for a moment, thank you if you're joining us as a guest. If today's your first time watching us online, or maybe you've watched several times, but you've never texted in before, would you text the word hello to the number on your screen? If you'll text the word hello to the number on your screen right now, we're going to make a donation to a ministry called Women at Risk International. That's an international ministry that rescues women and children out of human trafficking situations. So they can be connected to Jesus Christ. Their lives can be transformed, not only physically here, but for eternity. And so you can make a difference in their lives today. If you just text the word hello to that number that's on your screen. And for all of us, we're going to be beginning a brand new series today. It's called Shift. You just saw that video. I was asking the question, like, what were you doing a year ago? just to try and take you back there. We can get so in the moment that we can forget how different this year is than last year, or six months ago. And we all know that about three and a half months ago, everything in our world shifted. Who knew a global pandemic was gonna take place? And think about how everybody's jobs have changed. Regardless of what industry or what area you work in, many of you have lost jobs. Some of you own businesses, maybe you own a gym. Uh, North Carolina is one of the only four states that haven't been able to open their gyms up, and so we've got gym owners You pray for them. They're they're trying to figure out, how how do we stay afloat? How do we keep going? So maybe you're in the hospitality industry, or a restaurant, or you're a server, or a teacher, and you pick any industry, and jobs have changed. Even first responders in the hospitals that have had to stay open, obviously. Everything's changing. The organization, the business is reinventing themselves, and stuff's shifting. And that's just work. We haven't even talked about sports, extracurriculars, families, travel, seeing family, like any of the small groups, like all of those things around us are shifting, but as followers of Jesus, we serve a God that's never changing. And so we're in an ever-changing world, but we have a never-changing God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what is his plan for us in this ever-changing world, and what do we do? And that's what we're talking about in this series. And today, we're going to be talking about how do we respond in the midst of that in prayer one of our pastors pastor Dave Morley he's our small groups and care pastor he was sharing with me a story from uh, it actually happened last year but a few weeks ago he was sharing the story with me about a pastor that was preaching and he accidentally said something that impacted people that were watching online he was talking about how you can you don't even have to go to the store to go shopping anymore you can order things through your smart speaker if you have a you know little google or amazon speaker at home and so he said the name of the speaker that oftentimes people use to to cue it up and he talked about ordering toilet paper, and it was while he still had a live audience. There were people there, and so this husband was there, but his wife was at home with a sick child. And she texted him and said, hey, the pastor just ordered toilet paper through our smart speaker, and took the phone up to the pastor after the service and showed, and the pastor thought it was funny. But he changed the illustration for the second service. Instead of saying, hey, in the name of the speaker, order toilet paper, he said, hey, donate $500 to the church. I have no idea if that worked. And that's not what I'm going to try with you right now. But for those of you watching at home, maybe you have a smart speaker. I'd love to hear in the comments if this actually works. I'm going to see if I can talk to it. Some of you might be scrambling, just hearing that right now, because you don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to order you toilet paper. That would be a blessing for everyone, and that wouldn't get you to scramble. So let's try this. Alexa, order 1,000 live crickets. Alexa, order 1,000 live crickets. Did it work? If so, you might interact in some of the comments. Some of you might be mad at me right now. Some of you might be wondering, what am I going to do with now 2,000 sets of live crickets showing up at our house? Some of you maybe later today you were planning on doing that anyways. You're welcome. If you're upset about that, email me at dmorley at sfchurch.com. That is Dave Morley, our small groups and care pastor, since he gave me the idea. He'll handle all complaints. But what happened for many of us is you're responding based on what took place. But how do you fix it? What do you do? I mean, you can come to me, but I, I can't fix it. You've got to, go to, you've got to go to the source. You've got to go to Amazon. Empty your cart. Cancel your order. you got to... And here we are in this world as followers of Jesus. Everything's shifting, and we're trying to figure out how to respond. Doesn't it make sense that we go to the source? The one who's got the power and the control over everything. Nothing happens that doesn't pass through his hands. And he tells us that we don't have because we don't ask. And so what we're going to talk about today, I've entitled today's message, Pray for a Change. You want to see change in our world? You want to see change in your own life? You want to see change in the people around you? You want to see change in the church? You want to see change? Let's go to the one who can really do something about it. Let's pray for a change. We're going to be in the book of James today. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. We put the verses up as I'm preaching. And and if you don't have a copy of the Bible in your home, maybe you're watching for the first time, you don't even normally go to church. We've got an app for our church. And you can go to any app store and download it. Southbridge Church, just look that up. And there's a Bible in there, just our gift to you. So you can start even Bible reading plans. But the book of James you can find at the back of the New Testament. And James is an interesting book. Many people believe that the author of the book of James was Jesus' half-brother, James. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the half-brother of Jesus? I was asking my kids in the car the other day. I said, can you imagine if Jesus was your older brother? And they said, oh, that'd be tough. And I didn't totally understand their response, but they said you'd always be waiting for him to mess up, and he never would. <laughs> and I thought, why do you want your siblings to mess up? Like I think somehow we think that makes us look good. But, but James, do you think about James being the half brother of Jesus, growing up in his shadow? That'd be that'd be hard. And and you know the thing is about James, is that he didn't he believed Jesus existed. But he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus came from the Father to earth to absorb the wrath of God on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins during Jesus' lifetime. But eventually, James did believe. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what happens there is that Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to over 500 eyewitnesses, and he appears to some individuals. One of them is a guy named James, his half-brother. James becomes a leader in the church. He believes at that point wouldn't you? And James, it's interesting. I think that, I think for James, he's a lot like we've seen some people in our church and some of you, I know some of you would come to church even before any of this happened. And you'd only come because your spouse, your husband or your wife is a believer and, and you were trying to support them, but you don't really believe this. You're maybe you're a skeptic and you're, you're hesitant to trust Jesus. And James was hesitant to trust Jesus. But once he trusted him, he was all in. And what you find out about James is James was a man of action. If you read the book of James, you'll see he's the one that says, don't just listen to God's word, go do what it says. Like, what is it, what good is it if you just hear the Bible, but you don't ever put it into practice? you got to go do this. And he's the one that says, faith without deeds is dead. Put up or shut up. If you have genuine faith, there should be genuine change in your life. Even the demons believe and they shudder, but... But what is your faith? How does your faith? You've got to have faith with action. He's a man of action. He talks about the tongue. He talks about real religion. Take care of widows and orphans. People can't pay you back. And and he he, he is a man of action. But do you know what his nickname was? They called him Camel Knees. Camel Knees. You think about that. Have you ever done something a lot, like work in the garden or, or lifted weights or ridden a bike, and you get calluses on your hand from that? And they called him Camel Knees. Because he prayed so much. And so here's a guy that's a man of action, but he knew the importance. If you want to see real change, it starts on your knees in prayer to God. He knew the importance of intimacy with the Almighty. And he's writing to these people kind of the context of what's happening, the historical context is they're under persecution. There's problems inside the church because of pride. There's problems outside the church because of persecution. In other words, words, their world is shifting and they don't know what to do. So how do they respond? And that's what James is telling them in this book. Isn't that appropriate for us? And at the end of the book, this man of action tells us the importance of prayer. Look at it with me in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, there it is again, it's in every verse, prayers in every verse. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins, listen to this, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, probably the most famous verse in this whole section, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, he gives an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. And so here we read these verses together. Did you notice every verse says the word prayer? Every verse talks about prayer here. And so while there's a bunch of stuff in this passage, confessing sin to one another, and if you're sick and anointing with oil, it's clear that the passage is about prayer. And it says a lot about prayer. It says individuals pray. It says the church should pray. It says the elders, leaders in the church should pray. It says that we should pray prayers of confession. It says that we should pray during times of suffering. It says that we should pray during times of celebration. It says that we should pray for healing. It says we should pray for miracles. It says we pray for for revival. And so there's a lot here about prayer. And we're not going to say everything there is to say from this passage today. But we want to mine some truths from this passage. Realizing that James is writing to some people whose world is shifting and they're trying to figure out how to respond, and we know that our world is shifting. What are some truths from this passage that are relevant to us today? What is God saying to us today? And I think the first thing is this. If we want to pray for change, then we need to pray for our purity. If we want to pray for change, then we need to pray for purity. You need to pray for your own purity. Pray for purity in the church. Pray for purity in your own life, and we see it in this passage. It's throughout. In fact, it talks about confessing sins to one another, But if you just go to the most famous part of this whole passage, in James chapter 5, verse 16, the second part, it says the prayer of a righteous person. What is that? has great power as it is working. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us make a mistake with this verse in this passage. Because here's what many of us do. I bet you have something you're praying about. And you might even put it in the comments today. But you probably have, like if I said to you, what's the one thing that you care most about right now that you're praying the most about right now? Even if you're not a believer, there's people that are praying about one. If I said, if you could ask God for one thing and you knew he'd answer you, what would you pray for? We probably all can think of something. Maybe it has to do with work. Maybe it has to do with a relationship. It has to do with our finances. Maybe it has to do with our kids. Maybe it has to do with our family. Maybe it has to do with the world around us and the mess that's going on with that. Maybe it has to do with something real personal in our own lives. We can probably all think of one thing. And what we tend to do when we come to a verse like this in James chapter 5 and verse 16, is we tend to go, all right, I I want this one thing to happen. And this verse says that if if I'm righteous, then I can make it happen because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so I just, what do I need to do to clean up my life so I can make this happen? Or is there a formula or a method and we're missing the point? See, here's something you need to know about studying the Bible. The Bible will never mean what it never meant. The Bible will never mean what it never meant. What do I mean by that? God had an intention when he wrote these things down. There was a message that was being sent to a specific group of people in a specific time. And so you can't just grab it and then make it say whatever you want it to say in your life. And a lot of people do that with that verse. So how do you know what it originally meant? Well, one of the best ways you can know is by looking at the context. What's around it? Because the meaning comes from the context. And so look at the next verse. And what it says in the next verse, what does it look like to be righteous? It says, Elijah, verse 17, so here's an example of righteousness. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A lot of times when people look at Bible characters, they'll be like, here's this Bible character. They're amazing. Ruth, Esther, David, Paul. They'll say, be like these people. Do what they did, and maybe you'll get what they got. Have bold faith when you go to the giants in your life, and David, so step out in bold faith, whatever the obstacles are. Paul, we're going to be bold with the gospel. And if we're bold with the gospel, God will work and move. And Okay. But that's not what this verse is saying. The point of this verse is not you need to be like Elijah. The point of this verse is Elijah is like you. And that means no matter what hero of the faith he is, no matter what miraculous things we've seen happen through his life when he's prayed, he gets afraid, he gets sick. He gets tired he gets depressed he doesn't know how to deal with all the things around him he doesn't have all the answers and he's like you do you know what that means that when you pray you can see the power that he sees but you, but you got to be righteous so what does it mean to be righteous in this passage what is it if Elijah has a nature like me he's like me he's an ordinary person There's an extraordinary God. What does it mean for me to be righteous? Well, here's what it means. Here's the gospel truth about your righteousness. If, huge if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and that means that you're not trusting in your own works, you're not trusting in being a good person, you're not trusting in attending church, you're not trusting in anything other than what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, so that you can have a relationship with God and spend eternity with him, then you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because what happened is the moment you placed your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross, you received his righteousness. Because what Jesus did on the cross is he absorbed the wrath of God. You're an enemy of God. And that, that enmity, that, that difficulty, the, the, the strife that you had, the lack of reconciliation you had with God had to be dealt with. And so God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. And what happened when you placed your faith in Jesus, we can call it the great exchange. He received all of your unrighteousness, all of your sin, past, present, future, and you received his righteousness. So when God looks at you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if, if, then he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have not, then you can do that right now. You don't have to wait to the end of this message. You, at the end, I'll tell you how, but you don't just call out on Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. And if you do, would you text the number that's on your screen right now? Just for prayer. We have somebody to love to interact with you. But if you've already done that, then you might think, well, then then I'm all set that anything I pray should be powerful and effective. But wait, wait, wait. You know, if we read the Bible, what we see is that we're always a child of God. Like when you place your faith in Jesus, he'll always positionally, you are seen as righteous, but practically in our relationships, sin hinders us. And so here's something I want to tell you that's going to shock some of you. God doesn't, he's not attentive to every prayer. Does God hear every prayer? Well, he's all-knowing. I mean, there's not, there's not a word that gets said or a thought that gets thought that he doesn't know about. But he's not attentive to every prayer. So some people think, you know, every Muslim prayer and every Hindu prayer and every non-believer prayer. Here's the only prayer we know that non-believers can pray that we know for sure that God answers is when they call upon Jesus to be Savior. But even as a believer in Jesus, while you're a child of God and he sees you as righteous, our sin can hinder our relationship with him. And so we see throughout the Bible, don't just listen to me saying this, throughout the Bible we see verses telling us this. Let me read you a few. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, it says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. It's not that God's unaware of your prayers, so you're hanging on to this sin. And so it's hindering your prayers. Or, or listen to this, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. If one turns his ear from hearing the law, that's God's word, even his prayer is an abomination. So in other words, God's saying we're in a relationship and you won't. I'm speaking to you through my word, and if you won't listen to me, you, but you want me to listen to you? Is that how a relationship works? How about this, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. In other words, how you treat other people impacts your prayer life and God's attentiveness to your prayers. Say, so, well, that's the Old Testament. What about in 1 Peter chapter three and verse seven, when husbands are told, "Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, so that your prayers aren't hindered." That's the New Testament. What about this verse from Psalms, in Psalm sixty-six, verse eighteen, "If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened." So it's kind of like this. Like, imagine this. I'm a father. I've got four kids. Imagine one of my kids comes to me and says, you know, Daddy, I want a Popsicle. And that happens often, okay? Sometimes they ask, but sometimes I just get popsicle, whatever. Um, they come to me and they say, I want a Popsicle. And for whatever reason, in that moment, they've already eaten two Popsicles that day, or we're about to eat dinner. I say, no, no Popsicle. Now, they've got two options, right? Like, there's two responses. One, maybe this is what your kids do. One option is, well, I know my Daddy loves me and I know he wants what's best for me, and I know my dad's trustworthy, and I know he wants my joy, and so I'm going to trust him. Okay, Dad, no big deal. Or, there's what oftentimes happens at my house. What do you mean? Well, I'm angry. I can't have a pop. And maybe, what if my kids did this? I haven't done this, but what if they did this? What if they said, Dad, you know the neighbor dad, he always gives popsicles. I'm going to the neighbor's house. I, want, I wish he were my dad. And then they run, out, they run out and they go play at the neighbor's house. They come back. They've got you know, purple or strawberry or whatever all over their face. They've eaten popsicles. And they go, Dad, will you take me to the pool? Now, I might want to go to the pool with them, make memories, have fun with them. and I may even be planning to go to the pool myself, but what kind of father would I be if I didn't acknowledge and deal with the popsicle situation? I've got to care too much about my role as father and my relationship with my kids to just let that go. Oh, That's a relationship. I can't just let you treat me like a transaction. I can't just let you treat me like I'm a dispenser of your desires. And so many times that's what we want to do with God. And think, No, we've got to deal with our, our purity. Are you holding on to sin in your life? See, in this passage of Scripture, it talks about we even, even go into an intensity that most of us are uncomfortable with, not just confessing sin to him. He said, confess your sins to one another. If we don't do that, we're actually disobeying the Scriptures. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said that that he who's alone with his sin is utterly alone. Do you have sin you need to deal with? So if we're going to begin to pray for change, it's going to begin with us, and we've got to pray for purity. But not only do we pray for purity, we pray with passion. It says here that he prayed fervently, that Elijah prayed fervently. And, And I just ask you the question, what are you passionate about? Because people can be passionate about a lot of different things. We can be passionate about basically anything we're interested in. We can get passionate about, about cars, we can get passionate about comic books, do-it-yourself projects, art, movies, all like you sports teams. I did a little survey this week on my Facebook page, and I asked people, what are you passionate about? And you can go to my page and see. People interacted. Some people connected because they had the same passions. Video games. I saw some people talking about and different. Let me just share with you what people have said. Surprisingly, and maybe it's because all the sports have stopped. I don't know that anybody said. The Duke Blue Devils or the North Carolina Wolfpack or the, UNC Char- the NC State Wolfpack or UNC Tar Heels. But listen to what they said. God was by far the top. Maybe it's the friends that I have, Jesus, some, I mean, just some form of that. Maybe it's the second coming, telling people about Jesus, different things. A lot of people said family. A lot of people said pets, like animals. And listen, I love pets. But can I tell you something about, some of you aren't from here. Like when they build a new shopping plaza around this area, a lot of times I'll think to myself, I hope there's a new restaurant. And then they'll put in like some dog, come buy your dog a tiara. Play. Have you seen, people are passionate about their pets around here. And listen, if you put tiaras on your dog and carry it around in a purse, I'm judging you. Okay? I'm just being serious. Here's, here's the thing. There are people that are passionate about pets. They're passionate about work. People put comfort. I love your honesty. Video games, orphan care, creativity, serving others, A lot of people said a lot of things about their kids. Making memories with their kids, discipling their kids, all kinds of things with their kids. So I just said, kids, what are you passionate about? Can I tell you something about prayer? Prayer reveals our passion. Because what you're passionate about, you will pray about. And so you see here in this passage of Scripture, this example that James gives us here. When when Elijah prays, he prays for a drought. Think about that what are you praying about? Like in light of this pandemic, what are you praying that will happen? And I know I've talked to many believers that God's at the center of their prayers and they're praying for revival. Some people are praying for Jesus to return. How many people would dare to pray for ruin? Like think about that. If you were picking revival, return, or ruin, how many people would pray that God would would ruin our nation, like would ruin the things that are happening? Because that's what Elijah's praying. Like we just read past us sometimes. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again and it rained. Like God turned the faucet off for three and a half years. Like three and a half years. Like the pandemic we've been in for three and a half months. And I, told, I mentioned already, like, think about like, gym owners. Think about restaurant owners. Think about waiters and waitresses. And Think about people that have been highly impacted economically by the things that have happened. Can you imagine how they would feel if they found out somebody Was praying this would happen? I'm not even talking about pagans, right? Like, can you, like, think about the audacity that Elijah has to pray this prayer in an agricultural community, prays for a drought. And a farmer, think about a farmer, not for three and a half months. Season after season after season, three and a half years of no crops, life savings gone. What am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? I'm talking about believers that would be angry with Elijah. You think anybody's want to go to Elijah's church? You want to go to a church? Go to this church, he'll ruin your business. Like, this guy will pray. Nobody wants to go to that guy's church. People want to kill this guy. And so he prays this prayer. Why is he praying for ruin? It's not because he's sadistic. It's not because he wants bad things to happen to people. It's not because he likes harm. What we see is it's ultimately his passion. See, so many of us, our passion is actually self-centered. And James tells us in this book, that if you pray self-centered prayers, you're, those are adulterous prayers. You're treating God like a transaction. He says in James chapter 4. Let me read to you verses 2, the second part of verse 2 through verse 4. He says, you covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You want to know where our arguments and our disagreements come with in the church? You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, we should pray. But even when we pray, our hearts are so messed up. Look what he says. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Just spend it on your own passions, on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You're at war with God in your prayer life because you're so self-centered. You're asking God to deliver you your idols. And he's going, what kind of God would do that? It's like a father going, oh yeah, here's all the popsicles, just use me. I want relationship with you. And James, Elijah, he's not praying for ruin because he wants things to be ruined in people's lives it's because he cares so much about what truly needs to happen in their lives, eternally needs to happen in their lives, that he's willing for temporary suffering. And We hate suffering. We hate it so bad. I was getting a filling this week, and, and I made a, a movement, like it hurt a little bit, and the doctor said, could you feel it? I goes, well, it's cold. Before I knew it, they're putting more numb stuff in my mouth. Half my face was numb. You know, you go to eat later that day, chewing on my cheek, like, why am I bleeding? You know, just, we hate pain, so we do anything and everything to stop it. But you and I both know that if you need a surgery, the doctor's going to use a scalpel. If you've got cancer and there's a tumor that needs to come out, he's going to cut you so you can experience healing. You've got a problem in your heart, he's going to go in there, he's going to deal with the, the dark area, the hole is sewed up, like there's gonna be pain in order so there can be healing. That's what Elijah's praying about here. He's not praying because he wants to ruin farmers' businesses. He's praying because he realizes the whole country, the whole nation has gone astray from God. You want the context? Read 1 Kings chapter 16. Ahab's the king. He's more wicked than all the other kings. And what ends up happening, there ends up being this battle between the false prophets and Elijah, the the true prophet of God. And when he prays in, in 1 Kings 18, we see his passion. And his passion is not that people would suffer. His passion is that God's name would be made famous and that people would return to him. He wants revival. He wants them to return to him. And if it takes ruin, God, do whatever it takes. Listen to what he says. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. This is a passionate prayer. That his people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord answered. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You want revival? You want to see some transformation? Are you willing to pray, God, do whatever it takes? Because I think about what's happening for us in this world right now. Like many of us carry an extra weight and think about maybe you're a student and uh, you got to think about your grades. And you got to think about getting into a program. And what job do you want to do? you got that normal responsibility. Or maybe you're a dad and you've got to pay the mortgage. And you've got to take care of the kids. And try to have a good marriage with your wife. And serve in your church. And you got your normal responsibilities. But then in this world that we're living in right now, where everything's shifting, things are changing. We don't know day to day what's going to happen next. Another tragedy. Another outbreak. Like things could just, who knows? It's like we're carrying extra weight. I was asking one of my friends who, who does CrossFit. I don't know if you've seen CrossFit. I'm not going to talk trash about CrossFit. Love the CrossFit people. Most of them kick my butt. That's definitely why I'm going to not say anything. But some of them are, they're a little crazy. And the workouts they do, probably the most famous workout they do is called the Murph. Have you heard of that? It's, it's one mile running, 100 pull-ups. Can you even do that? Then 200 push-ups, then 300 squats. And then another mile of running, like uh, in case you just need some more torture, here you go. Like <laughs> it's kind of how this works. So a mile running, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, another mile running. But do you know what some people do? Some people will actually wear a, a weighted vest when they do the workout. And so, you know, with all the weights in it, these things weigh about 40 pounds. I asked to borrow one with all the weight in it. And it's heavy, like just to wear. But can you imagine doing the workout with this on a mile run 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 squats and then another mile run with most people are trying to lose weight like you're to add 40 pounds i have been thinking about what's been happening in our world today and you got to pay your mortgage and you take care of the kids try to have a good marriage do your classes, get your grade. You got your normal responsibilities, but then there's all this other stuff happening, and it's like we're all and we don't. We maybe subconsciously, it's there, but we don't. We haven't said it out loud. We're carrying extra weight. Why? Why would God allow that? Why would someone in CrossFit intentionally do that? Now maybe some of them just like pain. I don't know. I'm not. In, I haven't been in that whole world, but, but, I think why they do it. From the conversation I had with a friend that I borrowed this from, it's so you can get stronger. And so you can get the results faster. And so you put the best on. And, and you know what? this book, The book of James says, talks about this. Remember these people, their world's shifting. Do you know how James starts? Let me read you James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, God uses the pain. He uses the difficulty. He'll use the extra weight that's on you right now because He's doing a work in you right now. See, God will use the temporal to do the eternal. He'll use the physical. He cares about the physical. He talks about healing diseases right here. He cares about your cancer, he cares about your job loss, he cares about your business that you can't run right now. He cares about all the physical things, but he also cares about the spiritual, and we oftentimes miss the spiritual. And he's doing it to produce perseverance. He's doing it to produce endurance. He's he's doing a good work in this. Even what the enemy meant for harm, God will use for good because he's got a power. So we need to pray for purity. We need to pray with passion, passion for him. And we need to pray with power that comes from him. We need to pray with power that comes from God. You go back to that verse, the most famous part of this passage in in James chapter 5 in verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We've got to stay connected to the source because we've got a God who's a powerful God. We've got a God who can do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. It says that in Ephesians chapter 3, that he, he'll do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. And here we say that our prayers have power and he's got the power in us that raise Jesus from the dead. And what we see is that throughout scripture, he does beyond what we would ask or imagine. Abraham asked for a child. God says, I'm going to give you descendants that you'll never be able to count. Solomon's told, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. He asked for wisdom. God said, I'll give you wisdom plus all the stuff you didn't have. God is a God who can do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. So we, as followers of Jesus, should be praying bold, audacious prayers of power. But about what? How do we know what he wants? Because Elijah actually knew that God wanted to bring a drought because God talked about that in the scriptures. So what does God talk about in the scriptures that we know that he wants to do in our lives? We know he wants to purify the church. We know he talks about it in John chapter 17, set them apart, purify the church. He says here, confess our sins to each other. We know that he wants to purify our hearts with him, have right relationship with him. Confess your sins, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We know these things so we can pray with boldness. We know he wants to save people. You think about why? remember context is key. Why is James writing any of this? Why is this, in their persecution, with the pride that's happening inside the church, Why? What's the context? Let me read you verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So why pray? Why pray for a change? Because God's still changing lives, even in persecution. In fact, he oftentimes uses persecution, even in a pandemic. And you know what? He can use a pandemic. I was telling our church, we had a, a family meeting this past Monday night, and I told them a story that we had never done online church before. We started in this pandemic, and I told about one woman who I was friends with. I knew her back when I was in high school. She worked at the school that I went to. I didn't know Jesus, and that was back in Michigan. And she watched our service on Easter, and I was preaching. Maybe she was watching and thinking, what kind of church is he preaching at? Like, how did that happen? But she heard me talk about the relationship you can have with Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross and the forgiveness that he offers and the new life he can give you. And at the end of that service, she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Her name's Jennifer. She told me I could share the story. She might be watching right now. If so, Jennifer, say hi in the comments. But I was telling our church, I said, so here's this woman. She was watching in Wesley, Florida, a woman that I met back in, in Flint, Michigan. And here we are preaching from Raleigh, North Carolina. You don't think that God can do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine and change in people's lives? I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you're rejoicing with all of the angels in heaven when you hear a story like that. Or, or I think about, I had a friend from our church that texted me the other day and he was, he was going to his bank and his name's Sid Graham. He told me I could share this story. He's a leader in our church. He's led small groups. He's done, been involved in, in the marriage ministries that we do. And, and he just texted me. He said, God's using this pandemic to make more disciples. And he, he texted me about how he was walking through his bank and there, he said, there's this guy there that's oftentimes trying to get me to do financial counseling with him. And, and he hasn't really done it before, but he's talked to him. He said, but I went in this time and I, I sat down and I talked with him. And he was telling me about how all these things that are going on, all the heaviness, all this extra weight, was impacting his life. And Sid told him what was going on, the things that he's not seeing, the spiritual things that are taking place. And he told him about how Jesus died for his sins. He told him that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that God gave his Son, the wages of our sin is death, but that God gave his Son so he could have eternal life, that so if he'd call upon Jesus, that he could be saved. And that guy in the bank, because of all the shifting circumstances in the world, trusted Christ as his Savior, And so through the church and then the people as we're scattered as a church, God's God's doing a work still because God has power and he's still at work. We need to pray. Pray for purity. Pray with passion. Pray with power. And I want to ask you to do something with me today. I don't usually ask you to do. I want to ask you, will you pray? Will you pray with me? Will you, will you even just, like, maybe you're in your living room watching right now, or maybe you're, I don't know where you're at, but will you physically, like, get down on your knees and pray with me right now? I don't normally ask you to do this, but will you physically get down on your knees and pray with me? Will you pray? Will you cry out to God? Maybe you need to confess your own sin. Maybe you need to confess sin to somebody else. Maybe they're right there. Maybe you've got your kids next to you, and you've lost your temper with them, or maybe you've got reconciliation that needs to take place. And will you pray? Pray for purity. Will you, will you cry out Will you pray with passion like what's your passion in your heart and maybe the passion you have is not a passion for God maybe it's not hollow be your name maybe it's not that we want your name to be famous and we want souls to be redeemed we want things to be changed. ask him to change your passions and, and will you pray with power that God would use even the difficulties of the things that are happening in the world around us to accomplish his purposes in changing saving redeeming reconciling reviving lives Will you cry out to God with me right now? And if you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, will you pray with me this right now? Father God, I come before you. I need to do like, like, like Pastor Scott was mentioning in that sermon those other people. I need to trust you as my Savior. And right now, I want to acknowledge my sin before you. I know I'm a sinner. And I want to trust your son Jesus to be my Savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Absorbed the wrath that you had for sin for me at the cross. And right now, I want to surrender my life to you and ask to receive your forgiveness, your righteousness, that you'd be my Savior. If you just prayed that, will you just text the word prayer into the number that's on your screen? And Father, I come before you with the believers that are praying right now. We rejoice in anyone who's just trusted Christ, but God, we come before you on behalf of the church. God, will you purify, not just us individually, you purify the church? And maybe that means weeding out. Maybe that means numbers will go down. We trust you. We trust that you will do what you want to do. You're in Gideon's army. You weeded his army down so that you'd receive more glory. Maybe you want to do that in the church. Will you purify the church? Will you purify our hearts, God? Will you move in a way you've never moved before in our lifetimes? Bring revival, real revival. Will you transform us? Transform the church. Transform the world. Transform our worlds. Change the things that are wrong in this world. Will you help us be a light in the darkness of that? God, will you give us? Will you give us a passion for you, and a passion for your word? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for praying with us and joining us today. If you're still in the spirit of prayer, I don't want to stop that. But I do want to mention to you some things that are happening today at our campus. We're doing a blood drive. And if you want to make a difference in somebody's life in that way, uh, you can come right up here to our campus, 12621 Strickland Road, and be a part of our blood drive. If you want more information, go to our website, sfchurch.com. And there you can find lots of resources on how to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And I'll just say to you again, if you're a guest, would you just text the word hello to the number that's on your screen? And if you want more information about our church, just check us out, sfchurch.com. But will you join me right now in our benediction? From Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, church. We love you.